If you would turn to Psalm chapter 42, Psalm chapter 42, that is where we are going to be looking, what we're going to be looking at today, Psalm 42, and actually, excuse me, yeah, 42 and 43. I was asked this morning, well, Danny, what are you going to preach on today? And I said, depression. And the girl actually said to me, well, who lets you teach these things? That's a joke, okay? That's, that's, she, we have a relationship where we stab a knife in and we twist it periodically. So she, who lets you teach these things? And I said, quote, I do. Why did I, why did I really want to teach on this today? It's because I have some friends that are going through some really, really tough times and rough and tough times. And I had mentioned to that friend that she goes, I said, my mother went through depression quite often. It was something that she went through. And I said, and honestly, I think this probably some of the time last year, I think I probably felt that way as well. Because I had just felt, I didn't want to get up off the couch. And that's not me. Okay, that's not me at all. So I had taught this sermon another time, but I reworked it a bit. And I have to honestly say that you probably didn't hear it the first time because it was in between Christmas and New Year's. So it's one of those where everybody's gone. So I hope that we get something out of it this morning, and I'm sure we will. But I, was, I told you that some friends of mine are going through some real tough times. And some of these friends, the friends that I'm talking about, we have a candid relationship with. We can talk to one another pretty easily, and we can say some things to each other that where somebody would look at and go, whoa, you're, you guys are harsh. Well, no, no, we're just being real. It's, but we ask, we ask each other, how are you thinking? What are you thinking? Others who I might not be as close to, I listen to what's taking place in their life. I ask them, what, well, what brings you in? Or what's, what's going on in your life that, is, that you're having a tough time with this? And I ask them, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What do you think God's trying to teach you through this? Or why is God even allowing this? But for both groups, those who I am very, very close to, those who I am close to but not really as tight as what I would like to be, the question goes from what are you thinking to how are you feeling? See, there, there lies the rub because it, what, can't, what we think, it often always goes down to what we're feeling. And for many it's not uncommon for them to feel depressed. Now, we'll get up on a little further about what depression is, what, what I'm talking about here, but I'm not talking about just being unhappy. I can be unhappy. I, I stuck a knife into Ron Neufeld this morning. I said, last night was a great night. Why? Because the Giants lost. He's unhappy, but that did not make him depressed. 
I can have things that I'm not happy about. I went through probably 11 years of my life where I went to work every day, not enjoying one day I ever went to work, but I wasn't depressed. That's a difference. There's a big difference. And what we need to understand is this, that we can and often believe that if we're in a close relationship with the Lord, if we have, yes, I am tight, I believe, I pray, I understand what God's doing for me. We think we might be immune. I'm immune to this. This shouldn't happen. And I have, it, it probably, I would hope it wouldn't. In a perfect world, it wouldn't happen this way. In some circles, they might say that you don't have enough faith. That's your your problem. You don't have enough faith. Well, tell that to King David. Tell that to Elijah. Tell that to John the Baptist. All of these men, all of these men, lovers of God, lovers of God, of who God is, what he does, and everything about him. They dealt with depression. And these are people I'd be honored to be mentioned in the same breath with. I'm I'm just saying that as a purpose. I, I look up to these men. Well, depression. But the problem can't be that common among Christians, can it? According to Marshall Segal, a staff writer at Desiring.org, excuse me, DesiringOrg.com, DesiringGod.org, I can speak. He writes, Depression of some kind darkens the door of most Christians. Did you hear that? Not some, most. That's a heavy statement. It's a real heavy statement. But uh, before we move forward, what's, what's his definition of depression? What, what am I talking about today? And his depression goes on, and Seagal goes on to say this, and I quote, it's a spiritual or emotional fog that stubbornly clouds our hope and happiness. It might last for a couple hours or for a couple years. It might be brought on by a specific traumatic experience or a broken relationship, or it might be less traceable more difficult to explain. Some cases are clinical and require special attention, but lots of others are just part of everyday life in a broken and failing world. He wrote that in 2018, well before COVID, well before the Delta variant, well before lockdowns, well before many things that we've gone through So because of what some of us are facing, because of what this common malady of our fallen world, we'll concentrate this morning on what the scriptures teach when the weight won't lift. That's the title of our sermon today, when the weight won't lift. Now, Psalm 42 and 43, these two Psalms, which were originally one unit, can help us to move forward from the fog and darkness into a brighter existence. If you're taking notes today, it's simply this, the psalmist's introspection, the psalmist's retrospection, and finally, the psalmist's vindication. 
First, the psalmist introspection. And again, I have to tell you, I have to stress that if you haven't suffered or encountered depression personally, you will most likely encounter someone that has had this or is in the midst of it. Those who have been in its grip. Well, how can we then begin to move forward and help others to live in hope? Because that's what we want to do. We want to live in hope. And that hope is Christ. You do that by patiently speaking truth to them. Or as the psalmist did to himself. That's the start. Truth. The writer begins, Psalm 42, verse 1, to the choir master. Choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Simply just to do some quick understanding. When a psalm speaks of a mascal, it means that it's a psalm of instruction. More even more to it, instruction on wisdom. How to live life well. The sons of Korah were Levites. We first saw their daddy in the, in the wilderness. He was a bad man. He rebelled against Moses and in fact... The earth swallowed him up. Well, they didn't swallow up his sons. The sons of Korah served as the musical, they served in a musical aspect of temple worship. Well, how can we begin to address the heaviness? Let's do what the psalmist did by looking at the first causes of depression. The first causes of depression. We must take time to honestly look into our life that's hard. Honestly, look into your life and review the reasons why we are experiencing extreme discouragement. Now, the first question you have to ask, we have to ask it. Is it because of sin? Is there some sin in my life? Am I doing something that the Lord God is putting his hand upon us? Because God will not allow us to live in the mud when he has created us in Christ Jesus to live in the heavenlies. Well, is it sin? Not necessarily. What about our priorities? Is it some kind of loss? Is it, lo is it a loss of a spouse? Is it a loss of a dream? Or maybe even this could be this. Are our priorities misplaced? Are we looking for the world or th the things of the world to satisfy to where only God alone can satisfy us? Well, the psalm begins with a familiar verse. I think you've probably sang this before. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, whether the author was living in a desert, we don't know if he was in the, in the, in the desert outside Jerusalem, but it wouldn't have mattered he could have been living in a rainforest. He's not talking about real H2O here. He's speaking about the need or the lack of God's glorious and peaceful presence. The one who is distraught in a time of emotional drought and spiritual dryness, he's dry. I can't, I, I'm on my own. God, where are you at? Pant describes a keen desire, a consuming desire, not for the things or people. It's not for the stuff of the world. It's not for my spouse. They weren't made 
to fill that hole that God only can fill. The psalmist wrote, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The psalmist knew that this was where the true hope lied. And it lies in the benevolent God who made the heavens and the earth, in the caring Lord who has promised to come to the aid of his people. And to the disheartened author, God seemed distant. Why? Well, he tells us at the end of verse 2. He says, you are distant. When shall I come and appear before God? When shall I come? What's Jesus promise us? Jesus promises never to leave us or forsake us, right? That would be a yes. I am quoting scripture. You can safely, I, I quote it. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. But this isn't what the psalmist is describing here. Coming before God for this author would have meant corporate worship with others at the temple. He came with others, with other worshipers of Yahweh (laughs) as believers. In community. You can't live on an island. You cannot live on an island and expect to have the Lord bless you as much as he possibly can. Because some of the blessings that the Lord gives us are sitting around us today. Those indeed, you people are blessings to one another and your blessings to me. Why the writer was absent, we aren't told. He said he's gone. He, but many times when a person is depressed, when he's weighted down, what do they do? They stay away from those who love them. They stay away from church. They stay away from, oh, you know what, I need to go here. No, I just don't feel like it. I'm going to stay home. I don't want to be part of the folks here. Why? Because I, I, just, I don't feel like it. We need to be in the presence of our brothers and sisters to fully appreciate the leader of our spiritual family. Now, who is the leader of our spiritual family? It's Christ. Christ. And the ironic thing is we alienate ourselves from the Lord when he is very near. I don't feel you. I'm just going to go home and sit in my closet or lay down on my bed. very real. Well, the cause for the writer's longing for God is intensified by the hostile environment that he is in. Okay, we'll probably get an amen from this. Those around him attack God's character and even his existence, possibly not with their words, but often with their actions. Not just some kind of time, some of the time, but constantly. And make no mistake, it's painful. When someone attacks you because of your faith, or someone attacks the Lord, we'll get to that later. It weighs, it's heavy. And not just some of the time, but constantly. Make no mistake, it's painful, it hurts. 
It went on and on and on and on. And ad nauseum, verse 3 tells us, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where's your God? Where's your God? Can you hear these words now? If he cared about you, you wouldn't feel this way. Where's your God? If he's all-powerful, he would. He, if he could, he'd change the outcome, right? Where's your God? You'd get that job. But again, over and over again, come up short. Where's your God? Your body'd be healed, right? How would God allow this to happen to you to where you can't get up off the couch or get out of your bed or out of the wheelchair? Or how could God allow a little child to have to go through a bone marrow transplant? Where's your God? You'd catch a break if God was God. Where's your God? It gets to the point to where the author is so despondent that he can't even eat. Tears. Tears. Not bread. Tears. But why the tears? I think the obvious thing is, well, they demonstrate the grief that made the psalmist long for relief that, that only God could could provide. Yes, he was sad that God wasn't answering, but at second, they showed the grief over the perceived distance from God. They were twofold. God, you why aren't you answering? The afflicted focused on their situation not the truth of the scriptures and the comfort of his fellow worshipers. And oh, how we need the truth. And oh, how we need others. And oh, how we need to remember God's faithfulness to us. Verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He remembered the good things. But how many times do we act like ostriches? You're going, what are you talking about a big bird for? I'm talking about an ostrich who puts their head in the sand. That's what they're known for. But the writer of Philippians wrote this. What I'm talking about is keeping our head in the sand about the truth of God. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there are anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Another person also known as your Savior said this, The truth will set you free. Lies bind you. 
but the truth can set you free. The psalmist was trying to determine what the cause of what his heaviness is. He said, why am I crying? Why am I this way? Why am I so despondent? Why am I laying down, not talking to anyone, dwelling on the past? Why am I, not let, why am I letting my emotions overrule what I know what, what and who God is? Why are my emotions controlling me? Look at what he asked himself. And even more relevant, look at what he told himself. He spoke these things in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Why are you cast down? And why are you in turmoil within me? The remedy? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He had felt isolated from God, but that was not the case. He remembered he spoke to himself. He said, self, hope in God. How many times did he have to say that? A bunch. Over and over. Speaking to the Lord, he's never let you down, even when times were and are hard. And what we know is this, life sometimes isn't easy. We can still be mired in the pit even as we are thinking the right thoughts and have faith in our Lord. We can still be in the pit when we are thinking and practicing and speaking truth. It can be and still can't is hard to break free. And there still can be continued causes of depression as we witness with the psalmist's retrospection. Well, what are some of the continued causes of depression? Let's look back at our passage in the second part of verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. He's speaking truth, and he's praying this to God. All right? He is, God, this is what happened. I'm not trying to hide it from you. This is what is taking place. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon, from Mount Mizar. The bottom line, one of the reasons, a depressed person can be away from home. They're not home. Hermon is on the northern end of Israel. It's a beautiful place. It's mountainous. It's far from the desert that's in the, in the south. But it's also far away from where God was worshipped, where the man wanted to come home, where he wanted to come worship, worship in the, in the, in the with the congregation. Mizar means little hill, which is probably a little range of mountains still north of Jerusalem. And just as when we are away from loved ones, away from, and I'll air quote it, the normal, we're away from the normal, away from the perceived routine, we often miss out and often perceive it being easier. It was an easier existence when we were taken care of in what seemed like a kinder, kinder and gentler place. What I mean is this. I often use this. Who remembers their senior year of high school? I know, some of you do. Some of you are too old to remember. Yeah, thank you. I understand that. When we go to reunions, 
Oh, I can't wait to get back. I'm really embellishing this because I really don't care about reunions, but some people do. Most people do. Oh, I can't wait to get back and see my friends. Oh, I wish I was back in high school. Really? Huh. I couldn't wait to get out of high school. I couldn't wait for the last year and a half to get out of high school. Why? Because I don't want to be here. But we think back on it. We go, oh, that's great. Or think of this. Think of a past job that you really liked. Okay, I was a farmer. And amazingly, all I can think of, all I can remember are the good things. I don't remember the 106-degree days when my cotton is black, all right? Cotton is not supposed to be black. It's supposed to be green. When it's black because a well has blown up and I can't get it fixed for another two days. I don't remember those days of 95 degrees when it actually is humid here. When I'm shoveling duck nests, go ask somebody else about that. I'll tell you later if you want to know. It's hard, but I can only remember the good times. And that is what we often do. We think back at a time when Oh, it was so good back then. Well, yeah, it was. Home, the good old days. Many times it's where the heart is. The past can leave its mark in a good way and a bad. But look for God to move now. He is the God of yesterday. He is the God of today. And finish out my statement, he is the God of tomorrow. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will be there with you. Think on these truths. The psalmist also felt that he was going to be overcome. These are honest words. Where he used drought to describe his feelings to God before, now he uses Something totally different, a different analogy to describe his feeling. Overwhelming waves of pressure. Overwhelming. The weight of depression was so thick, he thought, he felt that he was drowning. The trials were becoming so vast, so thick, so overwhelming, he couldn't even breathe. Verse 7 reveals his anguish, and he prays. God understands. The one in anguish confesses to God the truth of what they feel. Church, admit your weaknesses. Admit your weaknesses to the Lord. You don't think he knows? Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. drowning. But church, is God sovereign? Yes, he is. Does God have control of the situation? Yes, he does. Yes, he is the sovereign, and yes, he does have control over any situation. And the one suffering this anguish acknowledges this truth. They continued, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. And the truth is, the psalmist had trouble dealing with this reality. 
he had trouble dealing with God's sovereignty. He asked why. Lord, I know you're in control. I know that you controlled the past. You control the future, and you the control now. And I know that you will control the future. But why? Why? A continued cause of depression for the biblical author and for us is this, the question of why. It's so honest, so raw, and so human. In verse 9, he prays, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? We could insert Jesus' words from the cross here. Could we not? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The question why many times, why many times concerns the presence of the enemies. The enemies, if we have enemies in front of us, why do I have to mourn because of these foes? Why are you allowing this to happen? Speaking of human enemies, God, they mock you. They mock me. And because I'm your kid, they're mocking you. I'm tired. They hate me. They hate you. I'm worn. And there is this little tidbit, too, in verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here we witness the reality of physical pain. It hurts so bad that your bones ache. If you haven't figured it out yet, life is messy. Life is real. It isn't a fairy tale that the psalmist lived happily ever after, and it surely isn't a fairy tale that we are living happily ever after. But here the enemies didn't use a sword and a spear, sticks or stones, but the weight of depression is so intense that the pain was present. Their words, they went straight to the bones. Have you ever been there? Have you ever hurt so bad that it just gets you? That's where this man was. And again, how can we describe what is taking place when a precious soul is immersed in it? Is it you that could be in depression? Are you immersed in that so deeply? Could it be a friend? Could it be a spouse? Could it be a child? When speaking for someone else, some often say, well, I wish that they could just be happy again because that'll make it better, right? If they're happy, they'll be better. Or if it's you, I wish I could go back to a happier time. Notice how I am really emphasizing happy. We often think that happiness is 100, 180 degrees off from depression, don't we? But that is not the case. 
we would be wrong. Andrew Solomon is helpful here when he accurately says in a TED Talk, and I quote, the opposite of depression is not happiness, but vitality. Let me say that again. The happiness of de- or the opposite of depression is not happiness, but vitality. Catherine Green McWright comments on Mr. Solomon's words. She writes, he is right. People are depressed, who are depressed, are not necessarily sad. They may be sad, but more to the point, they have lost their vitality. And it is this vitality in the first place that gives anyone the energy and the courage to work towards reconstruction in their life. When people are profoundly depressed, making the kinds of choices that can promote health is simply not possible. They do not know what recovery would look like at that point, close quote. That's why we need each other. We need God more than anything. We need Christ, but we need those around us to come and be Jesus with skin on. If we're left here with the bodily pain and mental anguish and lack of vitality that the psalmist has accurately portrayed, and he has accurately portrayed it, we'd be far worse off than when we came here this morning. But the writer leaves us with an answer, not the answer, an answer. It's one that is simple but sure. He answers his own question that he asked in verse 5. And again, he will ask here, the answer is a cure for depression. And again, it is not the cure. It is not the only cure, but it is a cure. Verse 11 gives us a remedy. And he asks the question again, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? You want the answer to your plight? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The simple truth, put your hope in God. It's easier said than done, but put your hope in God. Speak the truth over and over and over again. Have someone come next to you. Speak the truth. He said this because he knew that God could handle every situation that would and ever could come his way. He told himself, Self, God's got this. He has got this, even when I'm not sure about it. And because he's got this, he would be able to live life victoriously, even in the midst of uncertain times. The hope means to wait upon God's perfect timing with a strong trust in God about the future. That's what hope means. It's not, I hope it happens, but you know it will happen. But you wait patiently. God, you're coming through. Is it easy to do? No, not always. Why do you think the author over and over is convincing himself of this truth? Notice, too, while waiting and hoping for God, his Savior, to come through in ways that he might not even understand, he would choose to praise God for who he is and what he was and what he did and what he would do. The psalmist worshiped. When all is said and done, the psalmist worshiped. 
you're God. And I will praise you. He's not out from under the weight yet. But he's moving forward and we can see this in the psalmist's vindication. We, you, I, might be asking by this time, is there another reason why I'm feeling this way? And I'll come back to it. Is it because of sin? David felt this way after he committed adultery. He felt that his bones were going to just ache so badly in front of him, in, inside of him. Is it because of sin? Because again, God will not allow someone to live in the mud when we've been saved to live life in freedom. We must reflect on this. But the writer here, and I am sure most of the time, yes, we live in a sinful world. Yes, we have, are here where we're at because of original sin. But it's not always that. How do we know the writer wasn't in sin because of his willingness to cry out to God? He was close. He, want, he ran to God. He didn't run away from him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 40, 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For some of us, it's it's a human enemy that's a constant antagonist. For others, it could be a disease. But they muster the strength to come to, to the one who will fight for them. They continue in verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Again, he asks the question. He's very, very honest. God, why have you let this happen? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And if the psalmist didn't have this relationship with God, he wouldn't have this problem because he wouldn't be that close to God. <laughs> he wants God. Yes, he did love the Lord. And he threw his life into the hands of God. He didn't understand. And again, he asked why. I can't make sense of it all, God. I need you. Lord, restore me. He didn't get angry. He didn't get angry at the situation. He begged for help. He begged for God's illumination. Verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh, God, my God. The one again who was weighted down wanted to go to the tabernacle and worship. He wanted to be in the presence of God, but he wanted to be in the presence of his people. We need each other. He needed to be with God's people, praising God in his sanctuary. You ask why? Because he knew that the Lord was ready to meet with him. God is there. He's always there. 
For us now, we know this, wherever two or three are gathered, he is there. And the psalmist knew that he could focus on God at the sanctuary with the other worshipers of God. He needed both God and his family, and so do we. A constant truth. And again, I will repeat it. Life is not meant to be lived separately. We're meant to live in community. He ends with the same truth, the same true words that he has spoken twice before. And I would say the third time's a charm. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I'm going to conclude here with a story about a man from the past. But I'm going to end today with another man coming up who is my friend and one of your own who has lived through a time of depression for the past two years. First, the man from the past. His name was William Coper. William Coper was one of the church's finest hymn writers. I'm going to cut this back so Greg can have the tall time he needs. He was a gifted composer, but he, had, he lived with depression his entire life. In fact, he was committed to an insane asylum, and at that insane asylum, a doctor gave him a Bible, and he saw the truths of God's grace. And he became a believer. And a year after he became a believer, he was, for lack of a better term, cut loose from the asylum. And he met a man named John Newton. Now, I'm sure you probably know who John Newton was. He was a slave trader. He wrote the, word, the song Amazing Grace. Well, John Newton became this man's pastor. And Newton and Coper, they collaborated on a hymnal. One of the words was, there's a fountain filled with blood. And Amazing Grace, again, was part of that. But in spite of the conversion and his expanded ministry, he still fought depression, Coper did. And in fact, he many times felt he wanted to take his life. The attacks of depression drove Coper to pursue God more deeply. And he wrote the famous hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. These are the words to this hymn, and then I'll ask Greg to come up and share a bit of his story. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, 
but sweet will be the flower.